Father, we thank you for your goodness and mercy, and we trust that as we share this message, it'll be an encouragement to all in Jesus' name. Amen. Tell somebody happy Resurrection Day, and you can be seated. Bibles to Matthew, the 28th chapter, and the first verse. I'm going to read some of these scriptures from the Message Bible, so if you don't have that version, it'll be on the screen, the Message Bible. But Matthew 28, verse 1, says this, After the Sabbath, as the first light of the new week dawned, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to keep vigil at the tomb. Suddenly the earth reeled and rocked under their feet as God's angel came down from heaven came right up to where they were standing. He rolled back the stone and then sat on it. Shafts of lightning blazed from him. His garments shimmered snow white. The guards at the tomb were scared to death. They were so frightened that they couldn't move. The angel spoke to the women. There's nothing to fear here. I know you're looking for Jesus, the one they nailed to the cross. He is not here. He was raised. Isn't that wonderful? Just as he said, come and look at the place where he was placed. Now get on your way quickly and tell his disciples, he is risen from the dead. He's going on ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. That's the message. So what is, what is the message? He's risen from the dead. It, real loud, say he's risen from the dead. Say he's not here. He's risen from the dead. He wasn't there in the tomb anymore. He was raised from the dead. And that is the message. And the message is the resurrection of Jesus. I'm so glad that he's been raised from the dead. How about you? And that's the message that the angels said that women should tell. And that's the message that we all need to hear. That's the message that we should all tell is the resurrection. The resurrection. Certainly dying on the cross but also the resurrection from the dead. How many of you know we need them both, don't we? We, we need Jesus dying on the cross, shedding that holy sinless blood, but we also need three days later when he's raised from the dead. And, and you say, well, why, why is that so important? Well, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Again, this is in the Message Bible. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. I really like these two, two verses here. In the, the way the Message Bible puts it, First Peter one verse three says, "What a God we have! Well, that's that's that's, that's yeah. what a God we have, and how fortunate we are to have Him. Do you feel that way? I know, I know, I, we're very fortunate to have Him. This Father of our Master Jesus. Now, notice because Jesus was raised from the dead. Why is the resurrection message so important? What does it mean to you? What does it mean to us? It says because Jesus was raised from the dead. We've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for. Think about that. Now, you know, guys, that's good news, isn't it? Isn't that good news? Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for. Somebody might say, well, I just don't have anything to live for. Well, not according to the Bible. According to the Bible... Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given brand new life. 
That's the new birth. That's, that's what Jesus, remember Jesus told Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. How many of you remember that? And that's what that's talking about right there. Brand new life. When, when somebody repents and turns away from their sins and accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they get born again. They get a brand new life and have everything to live for. And then verse four says, and, and, I, and I, like, I like verse four too including a future in heaven. Now, you know, that's a good deal, isn't it? Future in heaven. How many of you know that beats a future in hell, doesn't it? A future in heaven. But a lot of times we, we, we stop right there when we talk about the new birth and the new life because a lot of times we just think that it has to do with the sweet by and by in heaven. And that's true. It does have to do with that. And that's good. That's wonderful. But it doesn't just have to do with that. If we read on, it says, and that future, when does that future start? Now. Starts when? Now. now. So do you have to wait till you get to heaven to enjoy the life that God has for you? No, you can enjoy that and start enjoying it when? Now. Right now. So because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life. We've got everything to live for, including a future in heaven. But the future, when does it start? It starts now. now. And that is if you experience the resurrected Lord and Savior. Uh, you know, we, we, we serve a living, a living Savior. Uh, he's not dead. He's not in the tomb. He, he walked out. He's alive. He's well. He's seated, the Bible says, at the right hand of, of God the Father in heaven. And, uh, you know, I, I want you to turn to Acts, the seventh chapter, because I want to look at a man here this morning. I really want to, want to consider three different people, two in the Bible and one in more modern times, of people that, what happened to them when they ran into and, and got a hold of the resurrected Savior. Look here at Acts, the seventh chapter, 57th verse, Message Bible again. Remember Stephen, do you remember who Stephen was? He was the first martyr of the church. He was a, he was a man of God. He was a servant. And he was, he, he was serving there in, in Jerusalem, you know, I believe it was. And, and, uh, and the people didn't really like him, the religious people and whatnot. They began to stone him and, and put him to death. And, and uh, notice here in Acts 7.57, yelling and hissing. The mob drowned him out, drowned Stephen out. Now in full stampede. So there's a crowd that was in full stampede coming to kill this man, Stephen. They dragged him out of town and pelted him with rocks. That's not a good place to be, is it? The ringleaders took off their coats and asked a young man named what? Saul, Saul to watch them. As the rocks rained down, Stephen prayed, Master Jesus, take my life. Then he knelt down, praying loud enough for everyone to hear, Master, don't blame them for this sin. His last words, then he died. Now, now, now notice, who was right there? Saul. Saul was right there. And what was he doing? He was, what does the Bible say? Is this the message Bible? Is this, I think this is the next verse, isn't it? They dragged him out of town. They pelted him with rocks. The ringleaders took off their coats, asked a young named Saul to watch them. Next verse. As the rocks rained down, Stephen prayed, Master Jesus, take my life. Next verse. Then he knelt down, praying loud enough for everyone to hear, Master, don't blame them for his last words. Then he died. Now, 
In my, in my, now you know what? In my Bible version at home, is there another, is there any more on that? Well, let's go to eight verse one and see what that says. You know what? That's the second time that's done that to us. The message Bible. You just, you just don't know about that message Bible. Now what does my, this is the one I got off my program at home. What does that say Saul was doing? Saul was right there congratulating the killers. He was what? Congratulating the killers. Saul was right there. What was he doing? Congratulating the killers. Congratulating the killers. It doesn't say that on that. uh, Something with the program. It's something with the program. Mine says that he was giving approval to his death. He was giving approval to his death. You got the NIV. Does anybody have something besides the message? What What was Saul doing? Huh? Consenting to his death. Does anybody have anything else? Agreeing completely with the killing? Huh? Well, I know that's in the, in eight, uh, that's in the, in the, uh, what does eight one say in the? Consenting. So uh, can we conclude whether it's on that or not? Can we conclude Saul was, he was happy about the whole thing, wasn't he? Now, what did they just do? What did they just do? They sto- who did they stone? They stoned Stephen. If you re- and they put him. In- and was Saul in favor of the whole thing? Yes. He was. He was happy about it. He was holding their coat, so to speak. Now this guy Saul, he was a bad dude. You know what I mean by that? A bad dude. Do you understand? You know, do you understand what that means? He. He was. He. I mean. He. He liked Christians being put to death. He liked them being in chains. He liked them being in prison. He was against Jesus. He was against Christians. He was a bad dude. Say bad dude. Bad dude. Yeah, I want to hear you say He's a bad dude. Okay, now we're going to go to chapter 9, Acts 9, verse 1, and I'm going to read this in the message, Bible. See, it's important to bring your Bibles, isn't it? Yeah. I usually use the New King James, but I just like the way these read in the message here. But Acts 9, verse 1, All this time, Saul was breathing down the necks of the master's disciples. That's Jesus' disciples. Out for the what? Out for the kill. He was out for the kill. Now, you got to remember Saul. We can see he's a bad dude. He was a man of accomplishment. He was a a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was a man of accomplishment. He was an educated man. He, he, He was an accomplished individual. Uh, he also was a blasphemer. He said this of himself later on before he changed. He was a blasphemer, a persecutor. He was uh, uh, very disrespectful in speech and behavior. He was arrogant and overbearing. Have any of you ever been like that? Or do you know somebody like that? Arrogant, overbearing, maybe disrespectful in speech or behavior. You know, I've, I've met people over the years that, that you know, they, they didn't cuss or anything like that, but they were disrespectful in their speech. You know what I mean? In their behavior. I mean, I taught a junior high school for many years and I dealt with a lot of good kids, but I let, dealt with a lot of them that cussed at me. <laughs> and I dealt with a lot of them. They didn't cuss at me, but they were disrespectful in their speech, you know? And, 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 and you wouldn't have liked Saul very much. He wouldn't have liked you he, or me. Anyway, he was out for the kill. 
He was out. Who was he trying to kill? Christians. He went to the chief priest, verse 1 says at the end, and then verse 2, and got arrest warrants to take to the meeting places in Damascus so that if he found anyone there belonging to the way, that means to, to, the, to, the, Christ, to, Christ, to the Christians, you know, whether men or women, he could arrest them and bring them to Jerusalem. He set off. When he got to the outskirts of Damascus, he was suddenly dazed by a blinding flash of light. Now I want you to think about that. He was dazed by a blinding flash of light. Now what was he going to do? What was he going to do? He was going to arrest Christians, right? He was against Jesus. He was against everything that Jesus stood for. Arrogant man, educated, arrogant, disrespectful, all of that. And he was on his way to arrest Christians And when he got to the outskirts of Damascus, he was suddenly dazed by a blinding flash of light. Now, that got his attention, didn't it? I believe that would get anybody's attention. He fell to the ground, verse 4. He heard a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you out to get me? He said, who are you, master? I am... Jesus, the one who you're hunting down. Now, you know what? Saul, this bad dude, ran in to the resurrected Jesus. He ran into the resurrected Jesus. Wow. And notice he says, verse 6, I want you to get up and enter the city. In the city, you'll be told what to do next. His companions stood there, and they were what? They were dumbstruck they just couldn't talk they could hear the sound but couldn't see anyone while Saul picking himself up off the ground did that light knock him down that power knocked him down didn't it knocked him down so he picked himself up off the ground found him found himself stone blind couldn't see that light was so bright it blinded him they had to take him by the hand and lead him into Damascus think about that this Religious leader, this educated man, this accomplished man, this powerful man, this arrogant man. Next thing you know, he's on the ground, blinded, can't see, and needs to be led by the hand into the town. He continued blind for three days, ate nothing and drank nothing. This got his attention, didn't it? He ran into somebody. He ran in to the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And he ran into the power of the Lord Jesus And so much I could say, but just to sum it up, that that encounter with the resurrected Lord changed this man's life. Totally and completely. And he went, in that moment of time, he went from being an arrogant, blaspheming Christian killer to go on to become perhaps the greatest disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ that we've ever known right up there with Peter James and John and God used him this man used him to write nearly two-thirds of the New Testament now I tell you what it took resurrection power to change this man it's interesting to, to note here he did not have an encounter with religion. There's a lot of people they don't ever change because they have an encounter with religion. You know what I mean? 
You understand what I'm talking about? Bunch of rules, bunch of regulations, bunch of thou shalt nots. And, and there are thou shalt nots. I'm not saying that there aren't, but I'm just telling you, any thou shalt not that God has, it's for your own good. And he's got a lot of thou shells also besides thou shalt not. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, but, but, but I've watched this over the years. I've watched people, you know, that, 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 that they, you know, they got it all going, but they, you know, they, they like Saul and he was a man of, uh, of position and all that they, and, and all, all of that. And they were just going about their way being boastful and being, you know, just obnoxious and all of that. And, and, uh, you know, see, he didn't run into a church, did he? I said, did he? He didn't run into a denomination, did he? No. He, he, he didn't run into anything like that. He didn't run into organized religion. He, did, he ran in... See, Christianity is not a religion. A religion's been made out of it. But Christianity is a relationship with a resurrected Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And, and that's, that's who he ran into there. And, and I, I, I'm as, I, I mean, this is a religious man. He was in Judaism. He's a religious man. And, and you could talk to him till you're blue in the face and, 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 and all of that, and you're not going to get through to him. The only thing that, you, that was able to get through to this man was an encounter with the resurrected, powerful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? And when he came in to that, to that, to that connection with the resurrected Lord, it completely changed him. Knocked him to the ground, got his attention, blinded. Three days, he rose up, went into the city. They let him in there. Finally, he got his eyesight back and became the Apostle Paul. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? And you know that, that, that Savior, that resurrected Savior, he's still just as alive today yes. as he was back then. Right. And he's still changing people's lives today. Yes, he and he's still working on people and... and, 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 and uh, He's still encountering people. I'm glad that he's still encountering people. How about you? I've learned over all these years that I can't change people. As a pastor, I can't, I, you know, I can't talk, talk people into changing. It, it just doesn't work. But I tell you what, if there's some way I can point them, and through the words I say, if there's some way I can point them and hook them up with this Jesus, and they can tap into his power, that's what changes people. That's, right. That's, right. that's what that's what that's what changes them. I don't know about you, but I found out that religion is cold and it'll leave you lonely in the midnight hour. You know what I mean? A church membership, if that's all you got is a membership to a local church, you got a slip of paper, if that's all you got, that'll leave you lonely in the midnight hour. If a slip of paper or church membership or rules and regulations of an organization is all you have, you'll never be victorious over sin, sickness or disease. But I tell you what, we've got more than that. And I'm not against church membership. I'm all for that. I'm not against being a part of, a, of an organization. I am part of an organization. But I tell you what, I'm glad that I'm part of, of the family of the Lord Jesus Christ and that, that I've got that resurrection power in the midnight hour. How about you? Is that really better? There's life. Serving the Lord and, and walking with him, it's, it's life. Really, I'd say it's life. Yeah, it's life. If you really tap in to the resurrected Savior. Now, this man, Saul, he was a, he is a, he is a, I think he'd be the first one to say that he was a real jerk. Have you ever met any real jerks? 
How many's ever been one? I tell you, I've met some people. They're just they're the, they're just jerks. You know what I mean by that? But they run into the power of the Lord Jesus, and it changes them. And, and Saul was one. He, by his own admission, later on, he, you know, I was a, put it in my own words, I was a real jerk. But you know what? Jesus can jerk the jerk out of you. <laughs> That's right. Amen? That's, right. That's good, isn't it? <laughs> That's good. I don't know where I got that. It must have come out of my spirit. I'm glad he's jerked a jerk out of me. How about you? Amen. He jerked a jerk out of Saul, didn't he? Yes, he Changed his name from Saul to Paul. What a different letter can make. Is that right? Became one of the greatest apostles of all time. Well, you know what? There's another man. Turn to Acts 10. Now, this is in the New King James Version. We'll go to Acts 10. Just want to tell you about two more, two more people. Very briefly here. Talk, talk about a man now that wasn't like Saul. He wasn't like him at all. This guy here, Cornelius, was, a, was what we would think of as a good man. A very good man. A very... Wonderful man, as you'll see. Look at Acts 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. He was an Italian. Italiano. Ah. You didn't know I could speak Italian, did you? <laughs> I didn't either. Uh, he was a, now look at this. Now look at this guy. He was a devout man. That's good, isn't it? He feared God. Is that good? Yes. With all his household, okay. He gave alms generously to the people. So he was a giver. He gave alms means to the poor. He helped people. He gave to the poor. He helped people. And he prayed to God always. He, he's somebody that prayed. Now he's a lot different than Saul, isn't he? Yes. This guy isn't a jerk. He's a, he's, a, he's, he's a good guy. It's interesting here in verse 3, though, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what, what is it, Lord? Now, this wasn't the Lord, but you, you understand he was showing respect here. So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Y'all know who that is. So the angel says, go send for Peter. He's lodging with Simon. This guy's named Simon back then. He is lodging with this guy named Simon a Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And, and, and in the New King James Version, in the King James Version, it says this way. It says it this way. He'll tell you what you must do. He'll tell you what you must do. Now, now right there, if you're like me, you stop and you say, wait, no, wait a minute. <laughs> what I must do? I'm a devout man. I fear God. I give to the poor. I pray regularly. You're telling me I've got to do something? What do I have to do? I'm a devout man. I'm devoted. I'm a, I'm a devoted family man. I'm devoted to God. I, I, I give to the poor. I, I pray. I, you mean there's something I've got to do? Yeah, there's something he's got to do. You know, there's something that all of us have to do. Whether we're jerks or whether we're not. We all have to come into a relationship with the resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? And it's interesting in verse 24, because he sends, Cornelius sends for Peter. So Peter comes and shows up at Cornelius' house. Verse 24, the following day they entered Caesarea. 
Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. I'm so glad verse 26 is in the Bible. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I myself am also a man. How many of you know that we should not bow down before any man, woman, boy, or girl and show them worship? Do you understand that? Some say that Peter was the first pope. Well, if that's true, are you supposed to kneel down? Huh? Absolutely not. There should be no worship for anybody other than for the Lord Jesus Christ. No worship, you shouldn't bow your knee to anybody except to the God, the Father, God, the Son, the Lord Jesus, and God, the Holy Ghost. Can you give me a big amen on that? See, Cornelius needed something. Yes, he was a devout man, but he needed something, but he didn't need to be bowing down to a man. He didn't need what a man could offer. He didn't need... a a, a religious experience. He was already what we would call a religious man. But he needed something else. And Peter said, stand up. He said, I myself am also a man. Verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and said, and Peter begins to speak. And for the sake of time, you can read it all later, but look at verse 38. Peter begins to speak and he says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. See, he starts to preach Jesus to this man, this devout man, this man who feared God, this man who gave to the poor, this man who prayed to God always. See, he needed something. He needed to do something. He needed to hear the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And and Peter comes and he preaches to him. He says, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, with power, who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. How many of you know God's the good one and the devil's the bad one? Is that right? And he began to preach Jesus to him, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, with power, went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Verse 39, notice, and we are witnesses of all these things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. So did he preach the death on the cross to them? Yep. And then verse 40, whom God... Whom God what? Him God raised up on the what? Third day and showed him openly. See, Peter shows up and starts preaching the gospel to him. What did, what did Cornelius and his family, Cornelius a good man, all of that, what was it that he needed to do? He needed to hear the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. He needed to hear what Jesus had done. He needed to hear that Jesus had died upon the cross. He needed to hear that on the third day, God raised him from the dead. That's the message that Cornelius needed to hear. Verse 43, to him all the prophets witness that through his name, that's Jesus, whoever believes in him in Jesus will receive remission or forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as was with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy 
Holy Spirit just as we. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord and they stayed there a few days. What happened here? Peter shows up, preaches the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection. Cornelius and his household, they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And just that quick, new life, realize, say new life. life. Yeah, new life, just that quick, they got born again. See, what did, they, what, what, what did they need that they didn't have before? They needed, the, they needed the new birth. These are good people, devout people. You know, some of the hardest people to share Jesus with are people that are devout and people full of good works and they go to church every Sunday and... Did you know going to church every Sunday doesn't make you a Christian? Did you know that? As good as that is and giving money to the church and praying and all that, it's all powerless unless you first tapped in to the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus. Do you understand that? And these people were what you would call good church-going folks. But they'd never heard the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. They'd never heard about his death on the cross. They'd never heard about his resurrection from the dead. And that's what the angel was trying to get across to him. That's what God wanted him to understand is that, yeah, you're good people, but there's something missing, the most important thing. You need, as good as you are, those good works won't save you. You need the message of Jesus. And it's, it's so hard to get that through to a lot of people because usually the people like... Saul, you know, the people that are jerks, a lot of times you can get them to admit, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I need something. There's, you know, my life's so messed up. But people that are full of these good works and they think that the good works in and of themselves are gonna save them, those are some of the hardest people to minister to and get, th- get through to. But whether you're good, what was that old movie years ago? Good, bad, or the good, the bad, and the ugly. Whether you're good, bad, or ugly, you know, <laughs> doesn't make any difference. We all say we all need Jesus. Amen? And that's what Cornelius and his household needed. And Peter showed up, he preached, they believed, and just that quick they got born. Realize, say born again. again. What does that mean? That just means their spirit got hooked back up with the life of God. And the life of God was deposited in them. And now they have everything to live for, a future hope of heaven. But when does that future hope begin? It begins now. And it began right then for, that, for the, those people. And then they got filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, I still believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Speaking with other tongues. I still believe in that. That's still for today. And then they went on and were baptized with water. Did you ever notice something about water? There's a lot of people that get water baptized and, and all you have is a wet center on your hands. I believe in water baptism. It's important, but you know water won't save you. It's only by repenting of your sins and placing your faith in Jesus and the blood of Jesus washes you from your sins and then you get born again, amen. Is that that awesome? And then after you're saved, then you need to be water baptized. Can you say amen? Amen. So whether you're good, bad, or ugly, (laughs) or pretty, you need resurrection power, don't you? You need to tap into Jesus. You know, John Newton, does anybody know who John Newton is? Anybody ever heard of him? Have you? He's the guy that wrote, he wrote a real famous song. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Right, is that right? Something like that? Did I get that right? He wrote that song. 
maybe perhaps the greatest hymn of the church, one of the greatest hymns of the church, Amazing Grace. You know, his mother died when he was six years old. And she had taught him the best she could about the things of God, but she died when he was six. And his dad was not a, a, a religious man. And, and at the age of 11, he accompanied his father as a sailor. John Newton abandoned his early religious training and he became an atheist. You know what an atheist is? Somebody that doesn't even believe in God at all. Is that right? And and John aggressively denied the existence of God. And he delighted shocking people with his profanity and his foul mouth. He eventually became the captain of a ship that transported slaves from African ports where they could be sold for the best prices. That's one of the, if not, that's probably the worst, most terrible thing that anybody could do is aid and assist slavery in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Amen? This, This was a despicable man. A despicable man. When he was little, he evidently was taught about the things of God, but he got away from it and he became one of the most despicable men that's ever lived. Transporting slaves. No place for that. But in 1748, he faced imminent death in a raging storm while at sea. In the midst of this storm... John Newton had a genuine supernatural experience with the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. He repented of his wrongdoing and he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? He went on to become a pastor and write the song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. He preached until he went on to heaven when he was 82 years of age. Why do I share this story? Because here you have a despicable individual. But he had an experience with the resurrected Lord and Savior. And it changed his life. He went from a captain of a slave ship to a a notable pastor. Jesus changes lives. And he and only he can change lives. He changed Saul and made him Paul, one of the greatest apostles. Cornelius, he didn't have a lot of work to do on Cornelius on the outside, but he needed to change his heart, didn't he? And he did. And John Newton, a despicable individual and the resurrection power, turned him into a man who could write the song Amazing Grace. Each of us have a story in here of how God changed us. Maybe you're here today and the Lord's never had the opportunity to change you because you haven't allowed him to, but he's here today and he wants to change you. He can change you. He can change you from whatever it is you are into what it is that he wants you to be. He's still just as powerful today as he ever was. He's still in the life changing business. Can you say amen? Amen. I think of myself, you know, I... As I was younger, I was kind of always a goody two-shoes. I was kind of more like Cornelius. Uh, uh, I, I did have my moments, though. I would cheat my grandma at Old Maid. I, I don't know if you know. Do you all know what Old Maid is? Do you all even? It's a car, card game, you know, and you pick. So little kids play it, and you, 
And I marked the back of the old maid with the pen. And my grandma would get so mad, she'd say, how do you always know which one's the old maid? You never pick it because I had cheated. And grandma, when I see her one day, she's going to get me for that. But I was an arrogant, smart mouth. You know, I had, I had my issues. Thought I knew everything, you know. But I ran into Jesus one day and, and he changed me. Did he change you? You know, and I tell you what, of all the people, we could have people stand up and give testimony, but, but I tell you what, there's one person in here I know about is my wife. And I remember years ago, I was looking through some old pictures and, I, and, and this is as true a story as I could tell you. I was looking through some old pictures and I found one of her back before she got saved. And I looked at that and I, I, was, I was astonished when I looked at that because I knew it was her, but it wasn't her. I said, I knew it was her, but it wasn't her. I said, I knew it was her, but it wasn't her. I said, I knew it was her, but it wasn't her. And so I went to her and I said, is that you? And she said, yep, that's me. I said, nah, that's you, but that's not you. You know, I was exactly right. It was her, but it wasn't her. It was her before she got saved. It was her before she ran in to this resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away and behold, all things are new and all things are of God. And so to close this service today, I just want y'all to stand with me if you would. And I want my wife to come and just give a brief testimony of how the Lord changed her. And then she's going to close the service. Go ahead, dear. A little over a year ago, um, I met up with a couple of cousins that I hadn't seen probably since I was about 14 years old. And we were having uh, lunch And during the whole time we were having lunch, they were just staring at me. Like, it made me kind of uncomfortable. It was kind of like a funny stare, like like they were looking at me with goo-goo eyes or something. And finally, one of them said, said, we were so scared when we came here today because we didn't know what you would be like. They said, we are so happy that you are so happy. We are so happy for the way that you are, because the way they remembered me is the way I used to be before I was born again. I grew up in a very challenging household, and uh, what happened to me is what happens to a lot of young girls when they're raised in difficult situations. Um, I had to be put on nerve medicine when I was in junior high because I shook so bad I couldn't even hold my lunch tray. Um, When I got older, like 14 years old, I started with the drugs, and a lot of older men took advantage of me sexually, and I was sneaking out at night, and just, I was just, I was just horribly, horribly lost. My cousins remember me with bruises all over me from my parents. When I was 9, 10, 11 years old, even younger than that, I was responsible for taking care of my three, three youngest uh, sisters. I just had a horrible life, and I was really, really badly damaged uh, because of it at 14 years old. And, in fact, my 
my aunt and uncle tried to adopt me, tried to get me out of my house and uh, adopt me. So I was just, I was just in sad shape, really, really sad shape. And one day um, at Parkway West High School, I was sitting at home at class, and I had, I had decided that there was no God anymore. I was brought up in church, but I just decided there couldn't be a God. And I was sitting in home at class, and I was sitting across from two girls who were happy. <laughs> and I, I was so far away from happy, it was just so weird to me. I can remember to this day saying to them, why are you so happy? You know, it was kind of like a sarcastic question, because I couldn't understand how anybody could actually be happy. And they said it was because of Jesus. And they took me, you know, within, within a week or two, they took me to a Bible study. And I gave my life to the Lord. I repented of my sins and asked him to be my Lord and Savior. And that second, I became a totally and completely holy new person. I mean, totally and completely. I didn't have to work on it. It just happened. God instantly changed me. His word says that we become a new creation, a new creature. Our old nature is gone. We have a new nature. And that's what happened to me. And instantly I was filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory, total and complete joy. And that's what happened to me. And God wants to do the same for you. If you've never, you may have been raised in church and think that you don't have to do that. But God wants to give you a new creature make you a new creation. He wants to give you a new life, a life that's full of joy and peace and hope. So let's pray. The altar workers can come forward. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never asked for God to fill you with this new life, if you've never repented of your sins and asked him to come into your life, I'm inviting you to come today. There is so much that God has waiting for you. There's so much that God wants to give you. But most of all, he wants to give you a relationship with him. And to have that relationship with him, you need to confess your sins and repent of your sins and ask him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. And I just invite you to do that today. God loves you. He wants you to be his child. He's longing for you. He wants you to be his child and have a relationship with you so much that he would have sent Jesus to the cross just for you. Every wound that Jesus bore, every time he was beaten and his flesh was ripped apart, every time he refused temptation, every moment that he spent on the cross was spent for you so that he could bring you into his kingdom and be part of the family of God. I just ask you today to come forward if you've never done that. Speak to these altar workers. Father, we love you so much. We love you so much. And we're so thankful to you, Father, for the new life that you've given us. For the resurrected life that you've given us. We thank you, Lord, that you made us new creations. We're new creatures on the inside. We thank you for all the things that you put inside of us for hope and joy, for peace and love. We thank you for that, Lord God. We're so thankful this Easter, Lord. And we look back, Lord God, at the person we used to be. 
before you came into our life. We remember that, Lord God. We remember that. And we recognize the dramatic change you've made in us. And we're so thankful. We're so thankful. And we go out today to celebrate Easter.